This is Glass Half Full with me, Steve Twine, and where I'm joined by inspirational guests from around the world, sharing their stories, stories that may well resonate with you. Sit back and enjoy this week's Glass Half Full. Today on Glass Alful, I'll be talking to Alex Bayonji. Now, Alex is a dedicated and gifted therapist with over 30 years of study and practice. He uses integrative approach to therapy, emphasizing psycho-spiritual growth grounded in somatic therapy's focus on the unity of body and mind. Alex is trained in EMDR, a technique used to help people process and resolve trauma successfully. He is also a gifted couples therapist, assisting the partners to reach deep levels of awareness and compassion. I'll be talking to Alex next, right here on Glass Half Full. Uh, so you're listening to Glass Half Full with me, Steve, here on the Yawa Radio. You know, Yawa Radio is your well-being and happiness station. And uh, it's a pleasure now. We're going over to, to Greece now and to be joined on the line by uh, by Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. Really excited about this. Well, you, you've got a lovely, I mean, people can't see it at the minute, but you've got a lovely setting behind you. It looks like the sun's coming yes. through the window. Yes. And uh, so let's enjoy this 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 session. Now, Alex, you you have been of a, a, you know, what, a, a, psych, a psychotherapist or spiritual growth coach, whatever the words we want to use yes. for, for many years. How did it all start for you? And then we'll explore the work that you do oh, now. Wow, wow. Um, from a young, young age, I really had some uh, profound insights that started at a you know, pretty young age. Those now looking back were the foundation of who I've always been. You know? So I kind of got a, a glimpse into something and that something uh, fundamentally stayed with me and drove me throughout my life. And then in my teenage years, the major breakthrough was I had this feeling that everything was impermanent. Mm-hmm. like that no matter what I did, uh, that life is going to slip through my hands, meaning that the existential hope and fear of our conditional identity is that we're going to find a place where we can rest, mm-hmm. meaning if I, get a, if I get a good job, then I can relax, and there I'm not going to want something else. What I realized was that none of that was going to fulfill what I really, really wanted was the deep experience of wholeness and fullness, you know. And well, does that, that, does that, does that me. mean does that mean sort of being being it? I want to use the word stillness, Alex. I don't know if that's the right word. Is is it being being you, being still, and and being authentic? Is that what that some of that's about? Those are great words. And by the way, you're just you're using words that are that are descriptors of that experience, which becomes an ongoing way of being from an experience to, to the way of being. So, so when you say authentic, absolutely. So when we use the word authentic, we immediately can feel what that, what that implies. There's a feeling tone that happens to us when, even if we say the word authentic, there's a moment, even if it's a short moment of being like, ah, I can, I can simply be myself, right? Mm-hmm. This, this quality of self that we're referring to is what I call the unconditional self, right? 
it's the self that's clear of all the traumas and and all of the uh, the densities and the heaviness that blocks that access to who we rely. The word stillness, it's a beautiful word. And usually I tell people that stillness doesn't just mean not moving, mm -hmm. but the quality of stillness is that we are still and life moves through us. Just like the clouds moving through the sky. The sky is still. Yeah, yeah. But the clouds move. Yeah, no, no I get that. Yeah. So that word is a very good synonym for the experience of who we are. There is a quality of stillness while movement happens. Yeah, I think people often confuse stillness uh, with not doing anything or, or just, you know, and, and, and for me, you know, I know we'll talk about mindfulness and things um, sure. a bit later on as well, you know, but, 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 taking, but taking that time out to actually just recognize what you're feeling in your body at times as well. People yeah. are so busy, generally rushing about. They're not. They're not in tune with 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 their body and how they're really yeah. feeling. And when you yeah. step back for that time, and and work out, why am I feeling this way? What's what's going on? And there's one thing. You, you, mm -hmm. I'm just going back to something you described there, Alex, as well. You know about the authenticity and and what life's all about. And you know, let's explore this a little bit as well, because we, we, we're born. We're born we're born free, aren't we? We don't have these things clouding us as we come into this world. And then through our life, I, I describe it as um, people put those layers of that concrete overcoat over us uh, and we feel really trying to work out who we are. And, and as we explore more about what you do, you know, I'm just thinking about you working with people and I'm using this like metaphor of of, of, of cracking, the, uh, uh, cracking that concrete, concrete mm -hmm. and, and letting mm -hmm. it, letting the true self come through again. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. It's what I do. You described what I do every single day. Wow. There we go. That's wonderful. <laughs> so, look, you know, pe people deal in healing traumas. And let's talk about the work that you do around that. But how does how does that work with, a, with, a, sure. with somebody you're working with? Let's take what you said and create a foundation for what you just said. And, okay. and, and I'd like to kind of dig into that and then the healing will come from the understanding of what's actually happening. It's like, you know, with a car, you need to know what's going on with a car before you can go fix it. Right. And, yeah. and there's a need for a deep understanding, not what we think is going on superficially, but a much deeper understanding of what's going on with us. Right. And what I've learned over 30 years of being a psychotherapist and then, you know, being 53 and having done the work, on my own sense of self, then I have a particular view and a model that I'm going to present in, in, within a few minutes. So it goes mm -hmm. like this, that when, when we're conceived in utero, one of the first developments that happens is our nervous system. Our nervous system is the first sort of say foundation that's laid down, which includes the nervous system and the brain. Then comes all of the other organs and so forth. They, they follow suit from the nervous system. The nervous system is incredible. And I was very fortunate. One time I went to a museum that was called the body exhibit. And this is where they showed the inner workings of the body. And in one of the last exhibits, they had a nervous system floating in, in, in some kind of suspended liquid. I was completely blown away. Mm -hmm. The whole body was mapped out and it was just the, the wiring for the nervous system. And everything else is layered on top of that. And that made such a profound impact on me because 
what is the nervous system doing? And the most basic level, the nervous system is the interface between my sense of self and the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's looking to the outside world to say, is it safe to be authentically myself? Yeah. This is what the nervous system is doing. And what we encounter is nobody gets out of being in the human condition unscathed by the conditioning of our, of our human existence, period. It's just, there's no way to get about it. I don't know why it's the way it is. It's just the way it is, right? Yeah. So, theref- so therefore, we become conditioned due to these factors and it closes down our contact with that authenticity. The more trauma we have, the more rigid inflexible the nervous system becomes in order to simply create a survival mechanism versus thrival with you yes right and and that that's the work of healing is healing the need to defend and protect to experience to experiencing that i am whole and it's safe to be and, and Alex, in terms of the, the traumas that you talk about there, is them, are, are many people not really aware of these traumas when you start working with them and you start exploring those things and and, and finding what maybe the, the triggers were? Maybe I don't know. It could be a certain age, couldn't it? Right. What you're de- what you're describing is is is, and I'm I'm really glad you're asking this question. And 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 let me describe something to you. So when we use the word trauma, it is, does come from the Greek word drama which actually means to rupture. What a beautiful description. Mm. It's a, it's, so therefore trauma ruptures our path from being authentically ourselves and makes us then turn a different way. So that's a rupture. Now, th- in the field of, of trauma treatment, we have two types of traumas, small T, big T. Now, mm-hmm. for me, I actually even go beyond that. It's a spectrum, meaning that we can have something very mild that happens to a child and that's still gonna imprint them. You know, like, so if I put my hand in the sand and I just go lightly like this, there's still a small smidge of an imprint of my hand, even as light as it is, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have the full on putting my hand into the sand and it remains that way for a very long, long time. So I, I look at trauma from that spectrum and that perspective right yeah so so when we're working with someone the person comes in for healing they might not be aware that the current moment they are living the momentum of the trauma yeah. You see, so yeah. what happens is the now is the expression. It's like, a, it's like a tsunami. If you have a tsunami coming along, once the initial you know, movement of the wave happens, that wave is now traveling. It's not like it's a different wave from the initial trauma. Right? Yes, yeah. It's so, like a continuum. So it's a continuum. It's exactly mm-hmm. right. So, so we live in the current moment as the continuum of all of the accumulated traumas yeah. We, ho- we hold them where? In our body, in our mind, in our emotions. We hold them there, right? As, a, as, as you know, Basil van der Kolk's brilliant book on the body keeps the score. The body, this comes back to your point, and I didn't want to leave this point. The body is what keeps the score. The mind 
which is not attached to the body, wants to figure out how to be free of the trauma, but it can't do that unless we become embodied. Yes. Yeah. That's what, that's why I'm I'm a embodied psychotherapist. Lovely. Right? Yeah. And so and, and that's just just as you as you're talking there, let's do do people sometimes like to hang on to the trauma for a strange reason? Yes, and, and it, the, the answer to that is, is a, f- a few reasons for that, right? Mm. Num- number one, you know what they say, right? Whatever you become familiar with is what you become familiar with, right? So if a child grows up in chaos, quite often they're drawn to that. It's familiar. If it's unfamiliar, what happens is that's very threatening because it comes out to be that I don't know what that's like. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to function in that new arena. Mm. So therefore the familiarity with that, number one. Number two is, it's a very interesting thing that happens. In the, in the deepest recesses of the psyche, we unconsciously hope that if we repeat the situation, that it'll go differently this time. <laughs> yes, I think many right? of us have been there. <laughs> we've, all, we've, all, we've, all, we've all done that. And, and so there's a hope that like this person, this job, this experience, this time, it's gonna go different. And why? Why do we want that so badly? Because if it goes different, it proves to me that there's nothing wrong with me and I'm okay, which I've always felt and known, but I believed that there's a problem with me, you see? So the hope there is to resolve the deepest fundamental issue that every single human being walks into my office. Everybody due to trauma walks in with a sense that there's something lacking within themselves. And I'm just picking up from what you're describing there, Alex, as well. And tell me if correct me if I'm wrong on this. It's like, and we've all been there, and we've all we've all we've all wanted that kind of that external change to help change us, and yet we don't yes. look at the internal to what we can do to change ourselves. And that that's you know one of the big issues that I think confuses people. They look. I was talking to somebody recently and then from the work as I do, and they were saying, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, if only I lived in Australia, life would be different. Really? It'll only be different if you don't take the same things with you, right. <laughs> your, your right. same personal baggage. That's right. That's right. You know. it's, a, it's a classic saying by Rupert Spira, no person, place or thing will ever change uh, your feeling of lack mm. or help you experience the, the quality of fullness um yeah. and and often it's really interesting when i'm working with someone you can see it in their language that they somehow tell you the story of their life and the circumstances as though that they're missing from the equation of the descriptor of the story it's a fascinating thing to watch wow. and sometimes i'll and sometimes i'll just ask them i said where are you in that play hmm. and, and i know that sounds like a really simple question but it's like Right, I'm also a participant here. So they're describing it as though they're watching a film or a play. As a, and That's happening, are, that, that life and circumstance are happening to them, mm, see? Yes. N- not that I am intimately partaking and co-creating the circumstance. You know, that's the key, co-creating the circumstances. Yes, it's a great phrase, isn't it? You know, sometimes I can be part of the problem. 
Yeah. So, so what 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 in in terms of when you're working with people around around this type of work, then Alex, what 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 about shame and things like that? Because often we can we can feel ashamed of whatever trauma that's happened in our lives again, and we maybe blaming ourselves sometimes for things. And does that play a part in the work you do? You got to remember something that when trauma happens, there's a cascade of what happens internally that leads to shame and guilt. Those are the two qualities that come along. So in order to address shame and guilt, once again, we have to know the mechanics of that, right? So mm-hmm. what happens is that, let's talk about what happens. Trauma happens, the child then has to deal with the adult. In dealing with the adult, there's a really deep quality that they're frustrated with the adult because the adult is causing them to, to leave themselves Therefore, the child has to shut off all that energy that's about thrival and now go into survival. Well, what's one way not to blame the parent is to make oneself the object of negativity. Mm-hmm. So often the child says, it must be my fault. There must be something wrong with me, right? Yeah. So trauma always invariably ends up with there's something wrong with me. Well, if there's something wrong with me, what's the next two emotions? Shame and guilt. Guilt. That's right. Mm. So therefore, but those, not, but those are not inherent with who we are. It's the outcome of feeling that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. So I don't need to address shame and guilt per se. I help the person resolve that there's something wrong with them. Yeah, I understand. That's, yeah. the, that's the way to go. Wow. And, and as everything that we've gone through recently as well in, in the world and in life, you know, are, are you seeing, I mean, I, we hear about people becoming more anxious and all that kind of thing. Are, are you seeing that develop around the work that you do as well? Are, are more people knocking on your door? I'm not sure if more people are knocking on my door. I think, what, I think what's happened in the last two, three years is that whatever was cut off or unfinished business in many people is being brought out. Mm. So in the light of the epidemic, people are being forced to go deep within for many reasons, maybe isolationism, loss of a job, loss of contact with family and friends. And all of a sudden, you know, I am an island to myself in a way. And here I get to meet everything in my psyche, by myself. I get to watch my own movie of myself daily. So in a way, the distractions have been cut off, you see? Yeah. And that's really has pushed people. In, and what the work that I'm doing with people who are coming due to, let's say, being forced by COVID, right? Then we're addressing those places that were difficult to meet even before this. Alex, you used an interesting word there, um, distraction, you know, because um, people often use distraction as a technique to avoid their true feelings, even in relationships. Yeah, yeah they, can, they can make themselves busy to avoid having a conversation, if that makes right. sense. And again, it comes back, I think what you were describing there, it comes back to that self, really, you know, what is going on here with me? What's, why am I feeling this way? You know, and all that, that, that kind of thing. So let, let's explore a bit about mindfulness and meditation then. Um, sure. and, and, uh, and the work you do around that. So yeah, have you been doing mindfulness and meditation for a long, long time in your life? 
my whole life. Yeah. Your yeah, whole life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was fortunate enough to be introduced to the path of uh, of meditation, primarily rooted within the Buddhist context. So I, I I've been along the Buddhist journey since I was about 17, 16, 17. And at that point, uh, my first introduction was uh, Suzuki Roshi's uh, book, Zen, you know, the art of the art of Zen. Uh, or the way of Zen, or the art of the Zen, way of Zen. Yeah, the way of Zen, and it was my first introduction, and I was completely smitten with, with, with him and and the path, and you know, it, it described why we suffer, what is the nature of our suffering, and then the methods by which to relieve us. So what happens is meditation practice belongs in the context of an entire understanding of the human dilemma. You see, mm-hmm. so. The Siddhartha, the Buddha to be, was really the first psychotherapist, if I would should say, right? Because he was really interested, you know, in his whole life, and especially during the 40, day, 40 days, 40 nights of, of his, you know, uh, under the Bodhi tree. What was he doing during that time? He was, he was really taking stock and interest in experience, in direct experience. What is experience? Who is self what are thoughts? What are emotions? Who really am I? And that was what he was sitting with, right? He wasn't a god. It wasn't something religious. It was simply a very, very direct exploration of all those things that we just mentioned. And meditation practice as a methodology is meant to address all those questions. And, okay. and, do you, and do you think people get confused about just what mindfulness and meditation is is really about? It's a it's a, it's very misunderstood mm-hmm. as 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 uh, unfamiliar and weird, or it's too difficult to do, or that's just because they haven't been introduced in the right way mm-hmm. by a good teacher who's been teaching it for a long time, who's been taught themselves, who's had great teachers guiding them along, along the way. And then to be able to understand, and because the meditation methods are given to a student according to where they are. So the teacher has to give them the method, not just any kind. So in the West, what's happened is everybody's just been learning meditation from apps and books and TV and YouTube. And, and maybe it's the wrong meditation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not the right time for that particular method. Maybe when they're going to do it, they're not doing it r- right. And then they give up on it or they have the wrong ideas. Like, for example, the most common misunderstanding is meditation is meant to make you not think. Mm. Yes, that's the biggest misconception. It's, 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 it's such a misunderstanding. We're not, we don't work on not thinking. That's mm. not what we're doing. So, you know, I, I almost wanted to, write a, <laughs> I wanted to write a book at one point. I don't know if I'm going to do it now. On what is and what is not meditation. Just for the, yeah. just for, just for the lay person. But I have to be honest with you. Meditation, if you want to change that word, self-inquiry. Why do we make the word much more palpable and clear to the, for the general Western population, which is simply say self-inquiry. Yes. Yeah. Which is what has come out of the Advaita Vedanta, the non-dual path within Hinduism. The term there that's being used is self-inquiry. Yeah. How, 
I just love that. That is so such a simple way for people to understand, isn't it? Sure. You know, and, and, and Alex, you touched on there and all the apps and things like that and things like, you know, because we get bombarded with it, especially now. I mean, I lose track of how many times I get emails about download this app, do this app, do that app, or God bless them. I don't mean to be unkind to some people, but they've, they've, they've trained as a mindfulness coach on a weekend somewhere and have suddenly become an expert. There's uh, a lot, if you go online now, you can become a mindfulness expert over two weekends or a weekend and I have to be honest with you, it, it poses a great danger to, to taking it to its deepest core of what it can do, the power of, of self-inquiry. Mm. I'm glad, I'm, I'm, when I say I'm glad that you said that, because I, I took issue about 12 months ago, because both my wife and I were clinical hypnotherapists, um, and somebody was putting on Facebook was to train to be a hypnotherapist in a weekend. Yeah. And I just couldn't help it. I just commented and, and I just went, really? Are you absolutely kidding? <laughs> you know, and um, I said, you just need to clarify what you mean by, by this. And uh, anyway, he, he came what, back and said, when, well, he, it was an introductory session into what hypnotherapy is. It wasn't trained to be a hypnotherapist in a weekend. But th- those kind of things give the professions, um, you know, a bad name, don't they? And it's and, and the question is there, you know, at, at what point then, how do you trust the therapist? So people have asked me this question and, and um, one, there has to be a connection that you feel with this person uh, that probably happens quite quickly within the first session that you energetically feel like, this feels safe without even much dialogue. It is just a quality of experience. Mm -hmm. That's just one. That's the first aspect of it. The second one is the following, that the therapist has the ability to explain to the client that the symptoms and presentation that they're giving to them is not what's going on. Mm -hmm. And the therapist has the their own ability to help the client see that's really what's going on. And then each session is working on relieving what is actually happening Mm -hmm. and not just simply, how are you and reviewing one's life events that doesn't work. People come to me from all sorts of ages who've been in therapy and within one session, after one session with me, they say to me, I've been in therapy forever and nobody has described to me, what you just did in one session, I cannot believe this, that I've wasted my time, mm-hmm. that, I, that that wasn't pointed out to me. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's the other quality. So if, if the person is feeling that we're just reviewing the stories all over again, like mm. we, all, we often joke, like we're just moving the furniture and window dressing the room. Yes. That's not, th- that's not therapy. And I also think as well, as you described it there as well, you... You're, you're working with the people that you work with on, um, when I say on an ongoing basis, I mean about what is happening. And, and I've seen therapists and coaches who they have a model that they work to through a plan. And the plan is this week we'll talk about X. And no then, well, that's, well, wait a minute. That's, that's a model. That's, are, we dealing, are we dealing with really what's going on here? Or are we, are we following chapter three of a book? <laughs> you, what, you're, what you're talking about here 
comes out of the Western model, the Cartesian dualistic model of a separation between mind and body. Why? Since we are mechanistic in the West, which is, here's the presenting problem, deal with that. For example, anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression are the number one in two reasons that people seek therapy in the UK and United States. What most people are given and prescribed is not a long terms of therapy, is Lexapro. Mm -hmm. Lexapro is the number one drug given in the United States than any other drugs combined together. Now, what does that say? That means one out of two to three people is on some kind of antidepressant. The research has shown that only one person who seeks psychotherapy for depression actually has a serotonin deficiency. The nine of the other ones have a psychological trauma-based issue that's mm. showing up as a symptom of depression. Therefore, they're not really being treated for the core. Therefore, then they go to see a psychotherapist or a counselor or a coach who still participates within the mechanistic model of dividing the body and mind mm -hmm. and prescribe some kind of course of, you know, let's do this and this, and you're gonna be okay. That fails, it doesn't work. Mm. And it's interesting it's talking there. It's like causation, like clinical depression and then environmental depression. They're two different things, aren't they? If you've got a chemical imbalance, that's different to something that's going on from an environmental perspective. You, you touched on there about the people that you work with. And um, there's an interesting question then, then Alex. What, what about working with couples? Do, I love do you, it. I, do a, I see couples all the time. Right. Okay. And, and, and again... Is is that grown over the years or are more couples now, have we got to the point where more couples are willing to come and talk together about things? I, I can't answer that for anybody okay. else. I could just say, I could just say to you that I do a lot of couples therapy. Mm -hmm. So I think people are finding more and more, maybe they're more and more comfortable that they're realizing that uh, something within, especially when somebody's had a few relationships and maybe they're in their thirties to realize like, wait a second, I've had a few of these and they're starting to look very similar to me. Do you know what I mean? You know, mm -hmm. someone in their twenties who's still practicing within the first or second relationship may not have yet enough information to say, wait a second, there's a pattern here that's including me as well. You see? Yes. So then more and more couples are coming when they've been together and they see that I've done this before. I'm also part of it. Let me go check this out. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and let's just explore this one a little bit as well then, because um, how can I put this? Somebody once said to me about the work that you do, Steve, is um, um, you're a bit like a tree hugger. Well, I went, what? <laughs> you know, well, it's all that, it's all that touchy feely softy stuff, you know? And then I just asked them a question um, which really threw them, which wasn't touchy feely at all. So, you know, from a psychology and spirituality to, together, is there an integration of that? Can it come together? Yeah, and, 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 and I'm going to make it really simple. You, you, you don't have to make them in opposition. It's simply, it's simply a spectrum. So mm -hmm. here's, the spe here's the spectrum. Imagine I'm wearing a really tight jacket that I've been wearing since I've been two years old, right? And I start to take that jacket off and it reveals who I really am. 
So, so what we often associate is that when the jacket is sealed up, we say, that's my personal self. And then when we open up the jacket and drop it, we say, that's my spiritual self. So it's not that there are two selves. It's simply the process of letting go of the conditionality into my authenticity. So mm. well, I, I don't even speak about it necessarily as personal or spiritual. It's, it's, it's a process of letting go into, into that experience. I Again, I mean, I often talk about this continuum, you know, about people sure. talk about opposites, but there are, you know, when people talk about opposite, for something to be beautiful, something in their mind has to be ugly, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, life's a continuum. There's, where are we? This is obviously, how, where, why, where are we on that continuum? And why do we get so hung up about labels? Left, the left brain uh, versus the right brain, this comes down to the, the, one of the most simple answers that has to do with, our, with being human in the brain. Hmm. Uh, the research recently in the last couple of years, uh, I have a couple of great books on this. The left brain is predominantly interested in facts, naming things, objects, uh, um, survival, filling in the gaps of perception, right? So it's simply meant to be like identify and live, identify and live, identify and live, right? Um, that's limited because it doesn't really experience what really is. It's simply interested in filling in and making sure there's no gaps, right? Mm -hmm. The right brain is interested in holes, holistic perception, big picture, timeless, spacious quality, right? So therefore, so therefore, when we are dominated, which we are in the West, by the way, by the predominance of a left brain model, yes, that answers the question of why we live that way. Yeah, if if only we could do, you know, a bit like the the, the Lao Tzu thing, you know, where the way where it, we have to name the ten thousand things. There's two different ways, isn't there? <laughs> Just live the great way. So, so, Alex, if people want to find out more about you then, and um, I guess, you know, you're over in Greece, but um, in the wonderful world that we live in now, you can probably work online with people across the world. I, uh, I've been working online full-time two years now with people from all over the world. It's been amazing. And it is. It's um, absolutely, absolutely amazing. So how can people find out more about you and get in touch, my friend? Uh, the easiest is just go to my website. It's uh, journeytowholeness.health. Okay. And find and me there. You can read about me. And if you want to contact me, send me an email. So Wonderful. Well, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you today and exploring a few things. And, uh, you uh, know, it'd be great to talk again in the future, really, because... I'm always here. Yeah, anytime. So, lovely. And, uh, and whatever you are doing for the rest of your day, have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me on this week's Glass Half Full podcast. If you'd like to join me as a guest then why not get in touch? You can email me at steve at stevetwynham.com. And also, if you're looking for a radio station that is that little bit different, that brings you all about well-being and happiness and personal development and great music too, then check out Yawa Radio. That's Yawa spelt Y-O-W-A-H dot co dot UK. Check out Yawa Radio, bringing that feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. So once again, thank you for joining me on today's Glass Half Full podcast. It is produced and presented by myself, Steve Twynham, and copyright applies. And whatever you're doing for the rest of your day, have the best day 
you possibly can.